throughout uh, Lent. The Sunday sermons were focused on the, the last statements of, that Jesus made uh, before his death, uh, the things he said from the cross. And um, I want to look at something else that Jesus said uh, that I believe is really, really significant. Um, he gives a, Jesus gives a lot of instructions um, because he is, while he's here on the earth, he was modeling the kingdom of God for us. He's showing us the life that we were created to live. Uh, sin has broken us, and he is showing us, like, this is the life you've always wanted because this is what you're created for. And as he's teaching and saying different, you know, teaching us things and showing us things and all that, which we get to read about in the Gospels, um, he gives some instructions, and there's some like kind of key ideas. And one of them is, is he says to follow. It's to follow. Like when he first calls disciples, he says, like in Matthew 4, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He says that to fishermen. It's like this kind of clever thing, but he's saying, no, follow me. He tells all of us in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And you might have heard me talk about this before. Uh, that idea in the Jewish community was connected to the study of a rabbi. Like you're studying his life. You're studying his teachings. You're studying his interactions. You're studying how he speaks and how you're trying to figure out how he thinks. And he's sharing with you. And, and all of that study and imitation is designed to slowly shape you and transform you to where your life looks like his life. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's come follow me. I'll teach you how to do this. I'll teach you how to live the life that you were created to live. So follow. That's a big, that's a big instruction. Then um, after his death, burial, resurrection, Jesus uh, ministers for another 40 days and hundreds of people saw him alive. And then in, right before he ascends into heaven, he gives this like final instruction. And so if, if the initial call to discipleship is follow, then this like great commission is to is go. Like that could be a summary word, is to go. Um, verse 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in Acts 1, verse 8, he says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so his parting words before his ascension were really, if you want to have an umbrella term, it would be go. Go make disciples. Go teach them how to do this whole thing. Everything that you have learned in your following of me, go take it to those who don't know yet. There's a whole planet full of people who don't know. And so we are a sent people. We're there to take the good news of the kingdom to those who don't know it, whether that means we go across the world or across the street. That's who we are. And so you have kind of these, these two big ideas. You have follow me and go. 
follow me, study me, imitate me, let me transform you into a kingdom person, and then go take that to the streets, take that to the people. And, um, but in between those instructions, like even in a linear time sense, like between the time Jesus said follow and the time that he said go, he gave another, I think, big idea word that is important. And so we're going to look at this passage today and next week a little bit. But I want to center in on the word abide. Because abide is in between follow and go. And I believe that's strategic. So look at verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a strong word, but also I feel like at times you need to like diagram it because there's a lot of like you and me and me and you and this and this and this and this and this. There's a lot to shed through there, but it all really falls apart if we don't understand what abide means. And a lot of things that we find in Greek and in Hebrew in the original texts is that they get translated into a bunch of different English words. Um, but they would, like, their understanding of the word abide would have encompassed all of our little English words into, like, one kind of idea. So let me run through some other examples of where the word abide shows up and how it gets translated into other things so that we have a really like robust understanding of the word abide, because it would be very easy to say, oh, it, it means to like, like that's where you live. And that's true, like you're in your humble abode. Uh, but it's much more rich than that. It shows up 120 times in the New Testament. It's the Greek word men, meno, M-E-N-O, meno. Um, so here are some of the ways that it's used. When Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and he, is, he brings the disciples along, and he wants them to, to be with him as he prays, he uses this word, meno. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here. Watch with me. Remain. So that's the English word there, remain, meno. It means abide. And so he's like, I want you to literally sit here with me while I pray. Don't leave. Don't get distracted. Don't fall asleep. He maybe shouldn't have said that one because they all did. Uh, but that's the sense of abide. Is it's, it's this remaining. It's like come and sit here with me. In Matthew 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out. And he says, whatever town or village you enter, stay there until you depart. Abide there until you depart. He's like, no, no, no. Like you're going to go into this town and you're going to like, you're going to be there. You're going to dwell with them in that town. And so it means like a, there's a staying to it. Very similar to remaining in that sense of that, that idea of like, no, it's, it's actually like a physical dwelling with someone. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he, 
he says that we are to continue in faith and love and holiness. The word continue, that's abide. So it's a remaining, it's a, it's a, it's a physically sitting with someone. It is a continuing, though, in some ideas. Continuing in faith and love and holiness. So it isn't just about being in the room. It's like, what kind of person are you going to be when you're in the room? It's that too. And John 14, Jesus says this, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you do not speak of my own authority. Here it comes. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. The Father who abides in me. So in the way that God the Father was dwelling within Jesus, that is abiding. So it's not only a physical presence you're sitting next to me, and what kind of person are you going to be in your sitting next to me, but it's also uh, this indwelling as well. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Abiding is not only physically sitting someone and remaining with them, but also what kind of person you're going to be. And it's also the indwelling of God with you. And it's also the person who's going to endure and hang in there with you and not take off when things get weird. That's an abiding relationship. In Acts 20, Paul says that the Holy Spirit testified to him in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits him. So it's not only all that stuff I just said, it's also forward in time. So you abide, but also wait a couple of days, you're still going to be abiding. It isn't kind of this like flighty, like hop, hop from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. It's like, no, I'm going to set up camp here. I'm going to dwell here. In one sense, if you're traveling, you might abide in a hotel room for a night, but that's not really abiding. You abide in your house or your apartment or your dorm or wherever it is that you live, like where you live your life. A couple more here. I'm just going to run, run through these real quick. First Corinthians 3, Paul talks about work that... Uh, so if any work has built on the foundation and it survives, it's not only enduring, but it's making it through to the other side of difficulty. He talks in 2 Corinthians about permanence. Um, you get the idea. It's all that stuff together. It's remaining. It's, it's to journey together. It is to hang in there. It's to not depart. It's to continue to be present, to be held, to be kept the Lord bless you and keep you. That's not the same word, but it's the same sentiment of like being held and being sustained by God. It's lasting, it's enduring, it's surviving, it's living, it's, it's to remain as one and to not change. It's all that stuff. So in English, we need all those different words to convey these ideas, but they just had this one word, meno. And when they heard it, it would have brought all of that to mind. There is a, there's an anchoring about this. All this, it seems that Jesus is saying something really, really deep. And so we have to pull all that together when we see the word abide and think of all those things combined into one. 
And so look again at verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. And I, th- I think, this little side note, so this moment, this is, Jesus is saying this to his 12 uh, on Thursday night before Good Friday. And we all know that the disciples were a little bit obtuse, let's say. Um, and I kind of wonder, like, I like to play things out in my head sometimes of if he was like, abide in me and I in you. And they were like, What? And then he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Weren't they looked at him and they were like, huh? Because then he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like he keeps getting it more and more simplified, not to dumb it down, but because I think this is really hard to grasp. You know, We look at the first part of verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. We're going to split those into two ideas. The first one, Jesus is, is instructing us to remain and stay and bed down and set up camp and fully dwell in him. And that's that's hard to, to understand, you know. It's not lost on Jesus that it's hard to understand. So he prays for us in chapter 17. So turn over a chapter or two. And in chapter 17, where he prays that in a sense, even if we don't understand it fully, we would experience what abiding in him is. Look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So, and that, that's us right, right now. Like, Jesus prayed for us in this moment. The verses leading up to this, he had prayed for his disciples, and now he's praying for those who would come to faith through the word of those disciples, which in a like trickle-down way is us. So he's praying for us here. It's pretty awesome. 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the unity of the Trinity is what Jesus is praying that we would uh, embody and experience. Not that we are the same as the Trinity, but he's inviting us into that kind of unity and oneness. The Father, Jesus says the Father is in him and he is in the Father. And he's like, I want them to experience that same thing. That they are in us. It's crazy, right? Paul says it this way in Colossians 3. He says, you have died 
Your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I could be up here for a lot of minutes reading a lot of scriptures that talk about being in Christ. What does that mean? I think it means what it means. Like it, in some ways, we don't need to overcomplicate that. Somehow we are in him. So it's just as simple as that, but also I think it goes infinitely deep and wide. I think that's a part of us walking with the Lord is that we learn more and more and more what it means to be in Christ. I remember being introduced to some of these concepts as, as a early, in my early 20s. And then when I look at it now, I'm like, I definitely get it more than I did then. And even though I don't get it 100%. He has taught me what this means. And I can't even articulate it very well. But I know what it means for, him, for me to abide in him because I know what it means to re, for him to remain. For him to sit with me. For him to endure. For all the definitions of abide that I went through earlier, he has been all of those things to me and to you. And so while my brain can't necessarily describe it perfectly, his faithfulness in relationship, I feel like I do understand it, even though it's hard to articulate. That I am in him. So he says, abide in me and I in you. And so we are in Christ, but Christ is in us. So in the very next verses, in John 17, 22, he says this, The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then try to map this out in your head. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So right there in those couple of verses, Jesus is praying for the unity that is abiding. Me abiding in him, him abiding in me. You abiding in him, him abiding in you. Us abiding in him, him abiding in us. That all of that oneness would be the reality of our not not only the reality of our situation, but also that we would experience that and walk in that, and I think deepen our understanding over time, even though it is a mystery that we will always always try to unpack. So, why Paul says in Colossians one, to them God chose to make known how great among you, I mean, how among the Gentiles, are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Us abiding in him and him in us, that is the hope of glory. That is the, like, Jesus is alive, so everything's going to be okay. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. It's all those ideas. 
But Paul himself says it's a mystery. And if Paul says it's a mystery, it's probably okay if we're like, hey, I don't really get it all the way. Now, if, if the disciples were a little confused, and Jesus gets down to verse 5, and kind of like, let me simplify this even more. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Because he's been talking about, he says, I'm the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. There's a pruning thing in there, and I'll talk about some of that stuff next week. And he's talking about things, but it's almost like he's like, oh, let, me like let me break this down like, to its most basic understanding. I'm the vine, you are the branches. <clears throat> so what... What is, what is that? So the vine, that's the, like, we would probably associate that with, like, the trunk of a tree. That's the, that's the part of the vineyard where that's what goes into the roots. Goes, I mean, it goes into the ground. The roots go into the ground. That's the trunk of the tree, let's say. We're, we're more, more uh, oak tree. We're more tree people than we are vineyard people here in South Louisiana. It's like, I'm the trunk. I'm the one with the roots that go down into the ground. What the trunk does is the trunk supplies the branches with everything they need in order to live. The vine is grabbing the water, the nutrients. It's drawing them in, into himself and then just like distributing that evenly throughout all of the branches. Jesus is like, okay, I'm like, I'm like the vine. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power as our true vine has given us everything that we need. He's drawing all the nutrients. He's drawing all of the water. He's supplying us as branches with what we need. Everything. So he's the vine, we are the branches, and the main thing to know about a branch is that a branch is not a vine. A branch is a branch. A branch is not there to reach into the ground and pull the water and pull the nutrients. A branch does not feed itself, supply itself. A branch's one job is to stay connected to the vine. Branch just has to stay connected to the trunk of the tree and it gets everything that it needs. And there is fruitfulness. The fruitfulness does not come from the branch. It comes through the branch, but it comes from the vine. So we are a conduit. We're in the middle that God's life flows into us and produces these incredible things. And what does Jesus say on both accounts? When he's t- praying for our unity, twice when he pr- prays for, uh, about us being in him and him being in us, both of those times he says, so that the whole world will know that this is legitimate, that this is true. That's the fruitfulness. And so our job is not to produce our own fruit. Our job is to stay connected to the vine. And how do you stay connected to the vine? You just stay connected to the vine. That's what's so strange. Uh, someone said this in the men's gathering the other night, that it's like here's this instruction to stay put. 
We, th- we think of instruction as like, go do this, go do this, go do this, go do this. And like, here's the instruction, just hang out right here. And strategically, God has put this in place, but we got to make sure that we're all like lined up with the point of this analogy. This is all about a relationship with God. Abide in me and I in you. That is a that is relationship. That's what we were created for. And if you were to look at a look at the trunk of a tree, you look at a branch coming off of it, you could walk up to that, you walk up there and like visually externally look, and you could like pinpoint this is where the branch ends and where the trunk like begins. This is this is the branch part, this is the trunk part. You could see this from the outside, but it if you were to dive into, like in, into the branch and the vine, you wouldn't be able to find the distinction between them. If you've ever, like, with all our hurricanes and stuff like that, you've ever been on like a chainsaw crew, and you know there's like parts of the tree that you don't even try to cut through because they're so dense and strong because the, the fibers internally are one. So you can look from the outside and say, well, that's, that's where, that's where the, the branch ends and the trunk begins. But inside, you can't tell because they are abiding in one another. There is a unity and there is a oneness that is there. And that's a part of what Jesus is saying is that, hey, I'm, I, you know, think about this. Thursday night, he's like, I'm about to go die so that you can all be cleansed. So that you can abide again. And the most important thing you can do in your following of Jesus and in your going, the most important thing you can do is remain connected. That's about relationship. And we were created to live in a real, like a real relationship. Where we we pray to the Lord, who cares about our lives, who has the wisdom of heaven knowing exactly what to do and how to do it. That we are able to bring psalms of lament to him, that we are able to bring celebration to him, that he is not a God who is distant and uninvolved. He is present and active, and he is abiding in us and with us, and he is deeply, infinitely invested in the lives of his children. Like a vine and a branch. Not the external thing, but the internal thing. There's a oneness and a unity that is there. And we see it. Like this, it's not just this one John 15 place. I mean, Read the whole Bible, from creation to Passover to the temple to the prophecies to the whole book of Psalms to the incarnation to the life and ministry of Jesus to his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his his continual intercession for us, his return that we are anticipating and waiting for, and the fact that we're going to rule heaven and earth with him forever on the new earth like that. All of that points to this relationship. 
And that's such a mind-blowing thing. I mean, even the fact that we have a Bible in our hands so that we would know this, it's so mind-blowing. And Jesus is like, hey, I know that's a lot to take in, so how about this? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Let's, let's start with the relationship of one abiding in the other and the other abiding in it. And let's, like, that's who we are. That's this thing that we are doing here together. And I think it's a strategic placement that between the call to follow and between the call and the call to go, that there's this call to abide. Because we have this tendency to to kind of go to maybe one extreme or the other in, in, our, in our Christian walk, and especially in as fast pace of a life as we live here in America. Uh, we take that great commission, and we're like, "I got to go. I got to do big things." For God, I got to sign up for this and go to do this and got to do this and this and this and this and this. Or we're kind of on the other extreme where we're like, that is way too much. I'm just going to like do my thing, work my job, try to take care of my family, go to church, be a good person. Neither of those are fruitful scenarios, really. Because when you're trying to do really great, huge things for God, but you're not abiding, you just burn out. And when you disconnect from the vine and just try to live your own life, you end up just dry as the desert. And at some point, you, you're, you sit down and you realize, like, my life doesn't look the way, like, this doesn't look like abundant life. So you go to talk to someone, and if I'm the person that you come and talk to, here's how that conversation will go. I'll, I'll listen, I'll be full of compassion, and then I'll say, all right, let's start, let's start with, with prayer. Tell me about your prayer life. I go, I haven't really, I don't really do that. Okay. What, about this, what about the scriptures? Are you in the word? Like, no, it's too, the Bible's too big, it's too much for me. I do listen to some podcasts every now and then. Okay. What about what about um, what about God's people? Are you spending like quality time with God's people? Are you are you going to community group? Are you uh, do you just spend time with other believers? I, don't, I go to group sometimes, but no, I'm just I'm just so, kind of so busy. Like I just have so much going on. Okay. Uh, what are what are Sunday mornings like for you? Like, do you? Are you engaging with the Lord? Are you feel like you're learning and growing? I don't know, I'm just kind of, kind of distracted all the time, and uh, I don't really like the songs. Maybe kind of just weird. Uh, then I would say, well, I have really good news for you. I know exactly why your life doesn't look the way you want it to look. Because the very things that God has given us to abide. You are not doing. So you're drawing from your own strength, either in doing great things for God or in just trying to like do the best you can without him. When the whole point of it is not to live for him, but live from him. And we live from him. There is a fruitfulness. So he has given us prayer. He has given us his word. He has given us his people. Just those three alone Connect us to the vine. 
And when we are looking at those things and we are refusing to do them, we will find ourselves in a place where we are frustrated because our lives don't look like they're supposed to look. Now, there are more than those three. And so I would say, well, I got great news for you. I know exactly why your life looks the way it does. And you don't have to do a bunch of this, that, and the other to reconnect. You don't have to go out and do this many kind acts and then give this much money in the offering plate and repeat this prayer a bunch of times and then God will begin to welcome you back in. Jesus died to take all that religion out of the way. That reconnection to the mind can just happen. When I say reconnection, I don't mean, I'm not talking about in an identity sense. Like I, in those times when we are, are not abiding, it doesn't mean that we have stopped being a Christian. It doesn't mean that we have ceased to be saved. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about a relational disconnect that all of us, we've all had those times, especially like you come out of this like pandemic uh, election and like uh, racial justice, like, like, storm that we have had in the last couple of years and how we're like the, all of those together man it rattled everyone none of us are the best version of ourselves yet but abiding is what like that is what either got you through it or a lack of abiding is what made you just feel dry as a bone one of the amazing things about the lord is he's like hey all you got to do go into as jesus said go into your room Close the door. Pray to your Father who's unseen. No hoops to jump through. No religious acts to have to engage in. In fact, in this moment today, you can have that relational reconnection to the Lord. You just say yes to Him. You just say, I've been living from my own strength. I've been, I've been trying to be my own vine. But you are the true vine. So abide, in one sense, seems like an inactive thing, but it's actually an active verb. That remaining is an action. It's not only are you going to remain, but who are you going to be while you're remaining? What are you going to, like, what is that going to look like? And so you've got to figure out what connects you to Jesus, and then you do that. Of course, the scriptures and prayer and community with God's people, but also maybe nature, like maybe like, like, Maybe you connect with the outdoors. Maybe that is a way for you and the Lord. You know, it could be music. It could be different expressions of creativity. You could write poetry. You could you could paint. Um, there are are some like crazy people who go run like fourteen miles and it connects them with the Lord. I think that's insane, but it works for them. So I'm like, do that. Do do the things that remind you that Jesus is the true vine and that you are one of His branches. And you are a part of a cluster of branches who are all drawing from the same life. We close by saying this, this last thing. We cannot look at any of those things he has given us as... Uh, we have to see them for what they are, which is a means to an end. And this is what I mean by that. The goal is not to read your Bible. The goal is not to pray. The goal is not to fast. The goal is not to serve. 
The goal is to connect to Jesus. And he tells us when we are doing those things, we are connecting to him. And so our goal is, what, how can I engage him? How can I connect with him? And so our hope is not found in being more disciplined. Our hope is not found in doing more things or being better at this or whatever it is. Our hope is in him. He's been kind enough to connect us to him in these really practical ways. And so this morning, you might be listening to a lot of this, and it could be just aff- really affirming to where you are. And I, and I b- believe that that is the case, and I, believe, and, and I hope that you receive that. You know, so often, uh, like church gatherings and that kind of stuff can kind of be like, okay, what am I terrible at right now that I can get better at? You know? But God's an affirmer. And so I hope that some of you are feeling like, oh, this is why I've felt alive lately. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I hope that you will receive that if that is you. Some of you might be, be, might be like, yeah, this, this is exactly why I'm, I've just been feeling very disconnected, let's say. And I hope that you hear him saying, just reconnect. It's just, it's just that simple. We're saved by grace through faith. We reconnect by grace through faith as well. So I, I believe that you're, you're my mind. I don't know what I've been, what I've been thinking. You repent of that and you reconnect. Let his life flow into you. It's just that simple. So I hope that this, whether you're being affirmed or you're being convicted or maybe there's some other options in there, I hope that this has been good, though, in some way. And so now we're going to give you some time to kind of sift through that, whatever that may look like. We started you know, offering communion as a response during Lent, and we're, still, we're going to keep that going. We don't have the two tables here, but we do have one table over here. And if that, for you, like think about abiding and connecting. For you to walk to a table where Jesus is offering you his body broken for you and his blood poured out for you, I mean, that's not a reconnecting moment. You know? So if that's something that you want to do, it's an optional response over here on this side this morning. Singing, that is a way we connect with the Lord. Prayer is a way we connect with the Lord. And so the next few minutes, we're just going to kind of give you a chance to do any of those for sure. Maybe, maybe you want to journal. Maybe you know, there's other options. Um, but really just for this to be a true time of response. And so we'll lead in some songs, but really this is your time with the Lord to kind of Maybe address you specifically what you feel stirring within you. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us and then lead us uh, in some singing. Lord, I am thankful for this group this morning. Um, as I look around the room and I just see uh, those people that I love and people that love me. And I love thinking about this idea that we are just a bunch of branches that are connected to the same vine, like that you are what we have in common. It's pretty amazing. And I pray this morning as we, as we sing a little bit and pray and maybe receive communion that Um, that we would do so in spirit and in truth.
that we would just really lean into what you are stirring within us this morning. And that anyone here who is receiving that encouraging word would just receive it in fullness. And anyone who is receiving that kind of call to return and to abide would sense you just waving them in. So as we sing and pray, may this time be a true time of response for us this morning to the things that you are stirring within us.